people join. People join. People join. Let's let's begin. I I'm going to mute every. You recording? I'm going to mute everyone now. Okay. 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 So uh, welcome everyone to the Shir on Yecheskel the Ilu Nishmasim Afraim Shmuel Benavram Aria Cohen and Chaya Tova Bas Eliezer Mendel Cohen. Last week, uh, at the end of last week, we finished off verse four, chapter one, verse four, which. A very complicated verse. We did as much as we really could. Um, we got to the point where Yechezkel has seen to the outer limits, so to speak, of the Mechitza Hashem, the area, God's zone, so to speak, where he saw the Chashmal. We explained if, uh, what the Chashmal, or to, to the extent that we could explain what the word Chashmal means, what it implies, what it is. Um, but essentially, it's the outer reaches, it's the outer boundary of God's area, God's zone, God's uh, domain, God's realm, which is called the Olam Atzilus, uh, at which we'll deal with uh, later on in the chapter. But uh, today, we're going we're gonna to focus in the main on verse 5. Uh, verse 5 is, as Yechezkel looks um, into... Uh, the areas that he's looking into, he, he saw a great cloud, he saw a storm, he saw fire, and he saw a halo, a bright halo around everything else. And now, from the midst of that, in the middle of that halo, he's going to see a creature, or he's going to see four creatures. So it's Yechezkel chapter 1, verse 5, and uh, Yechezkel describes what he's seeing. Umitolcha demus and in the middle, in the, in the midst of what I was seeing, which implies the noga, which implies the halo, the bright halo behind everything else. Demus um, chayas. I saw the likeness of four chayas, four living beings. and demus odon loheno. And they have the likeness of a man. So, um, seems pretty straightforward. Um, from out of the darkness, uh, we see a halo of light. In the halo of light itself, um, there is four animals, four chayos. And these are the angels, by the way, that we talk about in Davening in the morning. That uh, we, we say in Davening in the morning, Valfanim, Vachayos, Akodesh. The Ophanim, which we've not uh, talked about yet, another type of uh, angel, Vachayos, Akodesh, and the Holy Chayos. These are the chayos that we're talking about in, in Davening in the morning. And the first thing we notice about them is that they've got a human appearance. The Mus Odom Loheno, they had a human appearance and they, they were erect, uh, standing on two legs, as we'll see shortly. Um, but uh, looks can be deceiving because uh, this verse, verse five, goes together with verse six, and we'll explain them both together. Um, so in verse six, he tells us, For our bar ponim la echos, each one had four faces. But our lohen, and each one had four wings. So, despite um, the human appearance that he's describing, um, they're not human at all. These creatures have got have got four faces each, and as we'll see later on, on I, it's important that we understand this now, but so uh, we don't get to hear about it till verse ten. But uh, the creatures that have four fa- these creatures have got four faces. Um, the four faces are those of a man at the front. Um, they've got a face of a lion to the right as Yechezkel looks. They've got the face of an ox to the left as Yechezkel looked. And behind at the rear, um, how he could see that, but we'll discuss that later on, it had the face of an eagle. So that is the way it's described in verse 10, but it's important that we understand that now because... Um, it uh, goes to the, the fact that he, he, he seems to only be able to see the face of a human being. But the reality is that uh, these creatures have each had four faces. And the verse tells us that each face had four wings as well, or each creature had four wings. Um, so that's the simple reason that you've you got four creatures here and they've each got four faces and each, each face has got four wings. But uh, as Rashi points out, that's not the way you're supposed to understand this verse. 
the way you're supposed to understand this verse is each one, la echos, when the when the posset, when the verse says la echos, each one, it means that the human face had four faces, the lion's face had four faces, the eagle's face had four faces, and the ox's face had four faces. So in total, each chaya, each one of these creatures had 16 faces. Um, and there were four chayas. So and uh, and uh, so you've got and there were four wings to each of the faces. So what you got in total you, is you got a total of sixty-four wings for each of the chayas. Um, so essentially, this is this is what he's seeing. He's seeing a chaya. One chaya is a creature with sixteen faces: four human, four lion-like, four ox-like, and four eagle-like. Each face has four wings. So that uh, a chaya has got, each chaya has got 64 wings. Um, there were four chayas, um, uh, which displaying 64 faces. So in total, you've got 256 wings. Now, I hope the mathematics is uh, straightforward. But um, again, uh, a chaya has got 16 faces, um, four human, four lion-like, four ox-like, four eagle-like. Each face or each body has, has got four wings. So each chaya has got four times 16 wings, which is 64 wings. And there were, 60, there were four chayas, so you got 64 faces, and therefore 256 wings. So there is, a, he, is he trying to say each one is a four-headed creature? No, each one's a 16-headed creature. So... A chaya is a creature with 16 faces. It's got four faces facing in each direction. Okay. Four human fa four human faces okay. head on. It's all, all on one body. All on one body, yeah. That's a chaya. Yeah, so you got uh, a chaya's got 16 faces in facing four facing in each direction. You've got four human faces one, facing one direction, four lion-like faces facing another direction, four ox-like faces facing a third direction, and behind is the four eagle-like faces facing behind. So 16 faces. Each face uh, has got four wings, so that's 64 wings for each chaya. There are four chayas, that's 256 wings in total. That's the mathematics of it. Okay? Hope that's uh, clear. Um, so they're pretty unusual creatures. Uh, although the uh, the verse uh, verse five seems to imply that uh, if, you, if you read verse five, you just get the impression that it's a, like it's a human being. When we talk about the Musa Arab Achayas, there are four creatures, Mare and Adam and they look like a human being. But the, the reality is, as Rashi points out, and he's quoting the Targum here, and the Targum's quoting Dibre Kabbalah, that th this is what the Chayas look like. They each had um, each chaya has, has uh, got si uh, 16 faces. Okay, we'll, we'll deal with that a little bit later on in verse 10 when we look, when we look at the faces. Um, but the, the description here in verse 6 is, it implies a question on verse 5. Yecheskel, as I just pointed out, said originally that what he observed, which he, in his words, v'zemarehim demus odom, that he, they looked like a human being, they had a human appearance to him. So Rashi answers this obvious question because in the, in the next verse, the verse we just read, the, it's obviously it's not doesn't look like a human being. So Rashi says that the face that caught Yechezkel's attention at the start of the vision was the human face because it was a face he recognized. And the face he recognized was Yaakov Avinu. That's why when the imagery came to him, he focused on the human face because he rec recognized it. That was in verse five. Now in verse six, he's looked around the Chaya, so to speak, and uh, realized that they're not really human at all. Not, they haven't really got that much of a human appearance to them at all. And he describes some of their other features. He'll describe more of their features later on. But so uh, he describes other features that he could see. So Rashi is telling you something here that it begs a question that uh, Yechezkel's looking at the human face or the four human faces and uh, it looks like Yaakov Avinu. Now, how does Rashi know that? 
How did Rashi know that the four human faces of the Chayos looked like Yaakov Avinu? And why? Why, would, why on earth would they look like Yaakov Avinu? And how would Yechezkel even recognize that? So the starting point, is everyone with me? Let me just mute everybody again. <clears throat> so the starting point for this is a medrash in Beratius. If you remember the story in Beratius that uh, Yaakov had a dream, he stopped and he had a dream. And in the dream, the Posik says, he, he dreamt, there was a ladder set upon the ground, and its top, the Sulam, the ladder reached up to heaven. And he saw angels of God were ascending and descending from the ladder. And that's what the Posik said. It's a very difficult Posik really to understand. He saw it in a dream. Um, the Medrash there in Beratius asked the following question. Why were the angels going up and down? Now, there are many answers given for this. Um, so one of the answers that uh, comes out from this, this Medrash and also from Divrei Kabbalah, from Kabbalistic sources, is because they wanted to, they kept coming up and down. Different ones kept coming up and down because they wanted to be sure what they had seen because they saw the sleeping form of Yaakov on the ground. Um, then uh, Olim, then they went up, Olim to Shemaim, they went up to the heaven and saw the Chayas, and the human faces of the Chayas seemed identical to the sleeping figure. So then Yoridim, then they went down once more to make sure that they'd seen correctly. So the, the, the Medrash is interpreting the possible like this, Olim, they, they, they were malochim already on the ground in the human realm. They looked at this sleeping person. And they said, uh, we recognize that face. And uh, so they went up and uh, they had a look at the chayas. And they said, yeah, it looks exactly like the chayas. Then they went down, but Yoridimbo. Then they came down again to make sure that, um, that uh, they'd seen correctly. That's what the Medrash says. But uh, this leaves over more than one question. Leaves one particular question. Why would the face of... Uh, we can only answer certain of these questions, but uh, the most important one is, why would the face of Yaakov be the same face as that seen on Achaya, on these holy creatures and these uh, angels? Uh, and in effect, as, as the Zohar points out, it's actually... Yaakov's face is actually the, the emblem of the Merakova, of God's chariot. Um, because that is the, the, the face of the chariot. The face of the chariot is the human face of the Chaya. And why would it be, why would it be, why would it be Yaakov? What is so special? Why wouldn't it be, if it's going to be a human face, why not Moshe Rabbeinu? Why not David Amelech? Why would it be Yaakov? Why not Avram Avinu? Why would it be Yaakov? So there are a few answers given. I want to deal with one particular answer. There's a possible in Yeshayahu, in the second chapter of Yeshayahu, um, where Yeshayahu describes God, which is very unusual. We don't normally get descriptions of God in Tanakh. Um, and um, he describes God as follows at the end of days, how God's going to be, so to speak, at the end of days. It says, V'shach gavas ha'odom, and the, loftin the loftiness of man will be bowed down, in other words, to God, and the haughtiness of man will be humbled, and God alone shall be exalted by on that day. God alone. And um, this idea of Levado, God being alone, is something uh, that it appears quite often in Tanakh, and it's an issue of philosophy that God is alone in the sense that he is completely different and therefore he's like he's not a social creature he's just completely different and therefore stands alone now there's a verse in Beratius a Pasuk in Beratius in chapter 32 that describes Yaakov as he stood to face the angel of Esau in battle if you remember Yaakov was on the other side of the river and uh, he he uh, was confronted by the angel of Esau and they had a fight and uh, neither of them could uh, win. It just, uh, it, they fought themselves to a draw 
and in the morning, Yaakov limped away with uh, with uh, a back problem. With the, he damaged his kid um, hanosha. He damaged his sciatica nerve. The pasuk there says, "Vayivasa Yaakov levado." Yaakov was left alone. Vayelvek ish imo ad and the man wrestled with him <coughs> until the morning. Now, or, until the break of dawn. <clears throat> Now, on these two psukim, the Slonim Rebbe, one of the great Hasidic Rebbe's, he asked the following question. In what way is the word alone used in connection with Yaakov comparable to the word alone used in connection with God? Like, in what way is Yaakov alone in the same way that God is alone? So he writes as follows. This is, and this, I think this is the best answer I've seen to why the emblem on the Kisei HaKovod, or the emblem on God's chariot, is the face of Yaakov Avinu. Uh, as I said, there are other answers given, but th- to me, this, this is the one that re- really uh, uh, resonates with me. So he writes as follows. <clears throat> Yaakov used his efforts in battle with the angel of Esau to quiet and overcome all of the lofty powers of temptation and evil, which was sent to oppose him and cause him to veer off his path. Um, these powers were represented by the angel of Esau. Beforehand, um, he'd also encountered Esau himself. Um, for it is known that evil opposes goodness, and when the good exerts itself, it can vanquish evil itself. And in the world to come, the Olam Ha'emes, the Olam Habar, all the forces of evil which entice man to sin will be destroyed, and only the name of God alone will remain, which is that possible from Yeshayol, which, uh, again, the loftiness of man and the arrogance of man will be humbled, God will stand alone and be exalted alone on that day. That's the talking about the world to come. So he says, in the world to come, all the forces of evil that entice man to sin will be destroyed, and only the name of God alone will remain. For everyone will recognize only the Kavod Hashem, only the honor of God. And there will no longer be any evil in the upper world or the earthly world or in the heart of man. Yaakov embodies the singular goodness in the world. And in this, in this Yaakov is alone. The aloneness of Yaakov parallels and mirrors the aloneness of God in representing God's goodness. God being alone means that God is the source of good and desires to bestow that goodness to the world. And therefore he created the world in order to receive his goodness. God only creates good, whereas evil is a product of man's own inappropriate exercise of his own free will. Yaakov, in bringing the world to the middle of Emes, Yaakov is Emes, Titain Emes Yaakov. So Yaakov Avinu, in bringing the world to the middle, to the level of Emes, reality, eternity, opposes evil represented by Lavon and by Esau and by all the evil that takes place in the world. Yaakov is God's representative in this world. And that is why Yaakov's face is the emblem of the throne of glory. He is the alone physical representation of the aloneness of God because he represents what God represents. He represents MS. He represents MS in this world. And as such, in the Olam HaMS, in the world of only MS, which is the world to come where there is no evil, where people don't make bad choices, where all, all evil itself has been destroyed, Therefore, it's appropriate that the emblem of all the souls that go up to that place, the emblem should be Yaakov Avinu, because he was the one, or he, he, his legacy is he represents, or he represented the idea of MS, which is the ultimate um, icon, or the ultimate logo of the world to come. He represented it here in the physical world, so he is the face of it in the world to come. Now, that's a very uh, Hasidic way of looking at it, but I think it's, um, I think it answers the question to a certain extent. 
but uh, it doesn't it doesn't answer the question of how Yechezkel recognized it being the face of Yaakov. Like, how did he know what Yaakov looked like? So that's a question that we just have to leave hanging in the air. Anyway, getting back to what he saw. So he's seen these, these chayas. He's seen these four creatures. And as I said, each of these creatures have got 16 faces. Four of a, a man, four of a lion, four of an ox, four of a, 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 an eagle. And um, what's, what's interesting is in the other Merkava, in the other revelation, which is the revelation of Yeshayahu, which we, we discuss quite regularly, which we will continue to discuss because it is parallel here in, in this chapter. The revelation of the revelation of Yechezkel and the revelation of um, Yeshayahu are parallel to a certain extent, uh, or to a greater extent. Um, uh, we don't have the same type of description. And in Yeshayahu's Merkava revelation, which is in the, again the sixth chapter of Yeshayahu, we see that he saw a different set of angels. Right in uh, chapter six, verse two. Uh, he doesn't see the chayas. Yeshayahu doesn't see the chayas. He sees Serofim, the fiery angels. And the Serofim, the fiery angels, they were standing above him, whoever him is, whether it means above him, Yeshayahu, or above him, meaning God. Um, and the Serofim there, the fiery angels, serve a Korazel Zeviomar, each one called to the other one and said, Kodosh, 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 Holy, 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 Hashem Tzvokos, God, Maloch, Kol Oretz something we say in Kedusha, um, that uh, God's uh, honor, God's uh, 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 essence fills the whole world. Now, Yechezkel here doesn't see Srofim, he sees Chayas, and later he's going to see a different set of angels, which are called Ofanim. Their language they don't say Kodosh, Kodosh, Kodosh. The Tzrofim in Yeshayahu's vision said Kodosh, Kodosh, Kodosh. The language of these angels is Boruch Hash Kavod Hashem Mimkoma. Blessed is the glory of God from his place. Now, um, that is also something we say in the Kedusha every single day, right? We say Kodosh, 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 which is the words of the Tzrofim. We say Boruch Kavod Hashem Mimkoma, which is the words of uh, the Chayos, and uh, we also say, uh, particularly on Shabbos, if you, uh, there are angels that don't have the right to even see God's glory, and uh, if, if for people who take note of the different types of uh, Kedusha we say, for example, on Shabbos or on Yom Tov, so there's a, a, a part that we say in the Kedusha, we say, now, Sometimes we sing it, sometimes the chazan just says it, but we say the words, it's part of the Shabbos and Yom Tov um, Kedusha at Musaf, and the words mean, where, where is God's place? So some of the angels don't get to see it. They, they don't know where God's realm is. But uh, the Shrofim, the Shrofim are present, the Chayas are present, the Serofim say Kodosh, 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 uh, as they witness God's Merkava. And uh, the, the uh, Chayos, who are what we're talking about, they say Baruch Hashem in Koma. God is blessed, so to speak, speak. The glory of God is blessed from his place. Now, we're going to deal with all these words when we get to them in the third chapter. Um, and uh, how these angels interact with each other when they're speaking, because they're speaking to each other. And uh, we generally we generally repeat the words of the angels. Like, uh, why, why when, when we say Kedusha, would we want to repeat the words of the angels? So the answer is very simple. We repeat the words of the angels at Kedusha because they're in God's realm. They know what to say in God's presence. So we're in the, in the middle of the repetition of the Amida, and we're at Kedusha, so repeat the words of the uh, the angels because they know what to say. They're actually in God's realm. Um, now the Gemara. So you have these two um, revelations. You got the revelation of Yeshayahu, who sees uh, these particular types of angels called the Srofim, and you've got Yecheskel here, who is witnessing these Chayos, who are completely different in nature to 
the Srofim. And the, the Gemara in Chagiga on Daf Yud Gimel is concerned about this difference in the two revelations in relation to the wings of the angels. Because in Yeshayahu, what we find is that the angels that he's dealing with, or the angels that he, uh, his revelation reveals to him, which are the Srofim, the fiery angels, the Posuk there says, Sheish kanafayim, Sheish kanafayim le'echot b'shtayim yechas that each one of those srofim had six wings. Um, with two of the wings, they covered their face out of fear of the sight of God. With two, they covered their feet out of respect to the glory of God, not to display the unsightly area of the body in the presence of God. And with two, they flew. Um, when it says they flew, it doesn't mean they actually f were flying around. It means they were singing. The, the idea of the angels flapping their wings is not an idea of they're just flapping their wings for the sake of it. It's a, an idea of shira. Exactly what that means, I, I don't know. But uh, it's like a shira. It's like a song. But what we see, what the Gomorrah points out is that, that uh, the angels in Yeshayahu's revelation had a total of six Six, each of the faces of the Serofim had six wings. Whereas in Yechezkel, here we see that uh, Yechezkel points out that Ba'araba can find La'achas Lahem. They only had four. And the Gemara is concerned <coughs> that if the Serofim have six wings um, on each of their uh, faces or each of their bodies, then the highest, who are a higher caste of angel, as we'll see, as the Rambam points out, which I mentioned two or three Shirim ago, the Chayas are a higher caste of angel, um, a higher level, spiritual level of angel than the Srofim. So if the, if the Srofim have six, six wings, two, two, and two, um, they have two, again, two which cover their faces, two wings which cover their feet, and two wings which they use to flap in order to create a shirot, some type of noise, some type of song then it uh, would be appropriate that the Chayas, who are a higher level, should, uh, should have at least six wings as well. Um, and uh, as Yechezkel points out here, they don't. The Chayas here um, only have four wings. So the Gemara is a very difficult Gemara, and <clears throat> it takes some working out. So the Gemara says as follows. The Gemara says, look, Kasha, it's not a problem. Because when the verse in Yeshayo says that each had six wings, it's referring to the time when the temple was standing. Remember that Yeshayahu's revelation takes place inside the base of Migdash. It says the Gemara, but in the time of Yechezkel, where the Chayas have only got four wings, it's referring to a time when the temple is about to be destroyed and God's presence is becoming less and less openly displayed while exile and punishment and desolation is approaching. And this start of Hest upon him, this start of God, so to speak, withdrawing from the world, withdrawing his uh, openness to the world, presents itself as the number of the wings that are displayed by the highest. Like uh, the highest really should have six wings. But at times of distress, at times like now, when Yechezkel is uh, uh, having his revelation, um, and God, so to speak, as we discussed the word uh, Rechev, it's a language of God picking up his uh, belongings and leaving, um, that at this particular time, the Chayas were diminished in the same way, their, their appearance was diminished in the same way, as, so to speak, God's appearance was diminished during times of exile as well. Um, so that they now appear to only have four wings. So the Gemara says, well, which, which of the six wings were removed? Like they, uh, like which ones either were taken off or which ones can't you see? So the Gemara says, well, that's, uh, that's a machlokas. So the Gemara says, the opinion of Rav is, so remember, the, the, the six wings that uh, the Srafim, the fiery angels had, that uh, were described in the book of Yeshayol, were two that were covering the face out of fear of the sight of God. Two covered their feet out of respect not to display uh, their feet in front of God. And two, to sing Shira, to sing Shira, to serve God with song. So the Gemara says, so which two are missing here? So Rav says, those with which they recite song, they were removed. 
That's those were the two that are missing. Uh, the Chachamim, the Rabbanon, say that the wings they lost are the ones which covered their feet. So, like, um, what's this machlokus all about? What what are they actually arguing about? Why did the why did Rav say the two that are missing are the ones that the <coughs> or the ones that the angels use to beat and sing shira to sing song to God? And the rabbi said, no, the ones that were lost were the ones that covered their feet. So what's this machlokis all about? So the answer goes to the very heart of this question. What is the primary source of punishment? What is the primary source of exile that God inflicts on the Jewish people? Is it because they don't do what they are supposed to do? Or is it because they do things they are not supposed to do? Those are two ways of looking at the reasons, the primary reason for exile and punishment and horror and destruction. Is it because the Jewish people don't do what they're supposed to do? Or is it because they do things that they're not supposed to do? So Rav, Rav said the two wings that were removed were the two wings that are used to do action, to sing Shira, to serve God. They were removed. Implied, implying that praising God, doing mitzvahs, the two wings removed as exile approach were the ones that implied that the Jews' positive service of God was lacking. In other words, the two, the two wings that were removed <clears throat> were the wings that the angels used to serve God, to sing song to God, to do things, positive things. That's what was lacking. So the opinion of Rav is this, that the, the primary reason for destruction was the lack of the Jews' positive service of God. The wings of, uh, of the service of God was therefore removed. In other words, the wings of these angels were therefore removed. The wings that were used for Shira to do action, to praise God, were removed to indicate to Yechezkel that this was the major flaw leading up to the exile. The Rabbanon said, no, that's not the primary reason the Jews are going into exile. They said the wings that were lost were those which covered their feet. Now reflect. What did the feet of the angels look like? Anyone? Anyone? Anyone know what the feet of the angels look like? They have one, uh, one foot welded, two feet welded together. One foot. What did it look like? Like a column. Like an idol. What does the pasuk look at the next pasuk, man? Claws, claws. Claws, chicken feet. Like a round foot, it says. The English What's chocolate. the word? What's the word? The Hebrew word. You should. Like a hamud. Pardon? No, the calf regal egel 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 like a calf. Egel. The key word there is egel, which we're going to discuss shortly. The rabbi said the wings they lost are those which covered their feet. Their feet were now exposed. Their feet, as we'll see in verse 7, we are told, the feet of will, will look like a single calf's foot. The rabbis are telling you, which is the way the, rab, the rabbonin interpret the next verse. There are other ways of interpreting the next verses, we'll see. But what the rabbis are telling you is that in verse 7, you can clearly see the feet of the chayas. If you can clearly see the feet of the Chayas, then the wings that were covering them have gone. And what emerges when they are uncovered, they look like the feet of a calf. It's a reminder in the Gemara, this is the explanation of the rabbis in the Gemara, that the exile and destruction is coming as a, as a result of sins like the golden calf. Negative things. Not because they didn't do what they should have done, but because they did things they sh shouldn't have done. In other words, they're not, the exile doesn't come <clears throat> because you didn't do positive commandments. Exile comes because you did negative commandments. Exile doesn't come because you didn't pick up a lulav or you didn't put tefillin on. Exile comes because you ate trade, because you worshipped idols, because you killed people, because you um, committed adultery. These are, this, is the, this is the sign that the feet were uncovered. The wings were, were taken away from the feet. 
to show you that it's the Averis, Averis that people had done, like the Eger. And so the wings that were covering them were gone. And what emerges when they are uncovered, they look like the feet of a calf, to remind Yechezkel that the exile and destruction is coming as a result of sins like the golden calf, negative Averis, things they did that they shouldn't have done, like Avodah again, idol worship, Shemichas Domin, murder, and Gilearoyas, adultery, different types of sexual practices. Uh, and these Averis are now uncovered because the wing's not covering them up anymore. So these are the wings of the lot. So there's a, a machlokas here in this Gemara. The, the two wings are, are definitely missing. And the question is, what, which wings were missing and what message is being portrayed? Rav says <clears throat> the problem is the problem is in exile that the Jews didn't do what they were supposed to do. The rabbis say, no, it doesn't matter whether they didn't do what they were supposed to do. Sorry. Yeah, they didn't do what they were supposed to do. What the problem is, they did things they weren't supposed to do. They, they, they did negative, they, they transgressed negative commandments. Negative, transgression of neg negative commandments have much uh, far more reaching effect, far reaching effects than not doing things you should do. Like uh, you don't put the filling on in the morning, you don't make a brocha before you eat or stuff like that. It's all bad stuff. <laughs> but it doesn't compare to doing things that the Torah tells you not to do. And God is reacting to that. So that's the debate. What is the source of, what is the source of the exile? Is the source of the exile the positive commandments that they ignored, ignored or the negative commandments that they ignored? And that's the machlokis in the Gemara. And on that basis, you can, Yechezkel is being shown is that the actions or lack of actions of the Jewish people has a tremendous effect in the heavenly realms. Like, these angels are supposed to have six wings. The actions of the Jewish people can determine whether those wings are present or not, and whether the angels can perform the duties for which they are required to do. Remember, the seraphim and the chayas are supposed to have six wings, two wings to cover their eyes, so they don't they cover their faces, so they don't see God, God, God in all his glory. They've got two to cover their feet, because it's not appropriate to show your feet in the heavenly realm. And two to do shira, two to serve God. Now, if, if they've lost two wings as a direct result, as a direct result of what is happening down here on earth, then... What that shows you is the connection between the physical world and the spiritual world is very real. And that what happens down here has an effect up there. And obviously, it doesn't have to be told that something that happens up there has an effect down here. But the, the Kiddush, the thing that is surprising is that what happens down here has an effect up there. Now, we say every single day in Kaddish, and we say it in... Uh, we say it in, in benching, Oseh Sholom Bimromov. It's some, every Jew on the, on the planet knows these words. Oseh Sholom Bimromov, who Yasa Sholom Oleinu. That God, so to speak, Yasa, <coughs> Oseh Sholom Bimromov, God will make peace up in his realm, who Yasa Sholom Oleinu, and then he'll make peace down here. Now, the, what problems is God having upstairs? that he's got to make peace upstairs. Oseh Sholom Bimromov, God has to make peace upstairs in the heavenly realms, who Yasa Sholom Oleinu, and then he'll be able to make peace down here. Well, what possible problems could he be having upstairs? And the answer is the problems he's having upstairs are as a direct result of the free will actions of human beings down here. Because every action that we take, every free will decision that a human being takes down here, for good, for evil, for better, for worse, has an effect in the heavenly realm. And that is one of the messages being portrayed here. That what Yechezkel is seeing, that what Yechezkel is seeing is that the actions of the Jewish people, not just the Jewish people, the, the non-Jewish people have got the Sheva Mitzvah B'nai Noach as well. So the free will decisions for good or for better or for worse that are taken here by human beings have an effect upstairs. 
a positive or a negative effect. When the Jews are sitting down here, so angels lose their wings, so they can't perform their duty properly, and things go wrong upstairs. And therefore, that's got to be rectified. And until that can be rectified, then there can't be complete peace down here either. It's like a vicious circle, vicious cycle. So that is what Yechezkel is seeing. So this is the Machlokis in this Gemara. But what is the key here? What should we be? Obviously, we should be both concerned with. We should be concerned both with performing mitzvahs, positive mitzvahs. We should put tefillin on every day and we should go to shul and we should uh, daven and we should uh, build a sukkah and we should do this and we should do that and separate truma and uh, keep shemitah and do all the things that the positive commandments in the Torah. That's one thing we should do. But there's also the negative commandments, things we shouldn't do. And the, the reality is they're both very important. But the question that's being posed here by the missing wings is which one, the avoidance of which one causes exile? Is it the one, is it the fact that the Jewish people are, are ignoring things they should be doing? Or is it the fact that the Jewish people are doing things that they shouldn't be doing? Is it Sheva Al-Tasa, they're, they're being passive and not active in their Judaism? Or is it being... Um, they're getting up and they're doing things they shouldn't be doing. So that is that is what is being demonstrated <coughs> to Yechezkel. The message that's being demonstrated to Yechezkel. And uh, depending how you understand this Gemara in, in Chagiga, that's the way you have to understand exile. Now the Gemara, in many places, understands the Gemara according to the way of the Chachomim. Because the Chachomim say that uh, the, 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 the wings that were missing were the wings that covered the feet. And as the Chachamim say, the, the feet looked like an eagle, looked like a, a calf, which reminded, which was supposed to remind Yechezkel of the sin of the golden calf, which was a negative commandment, which was a dinner, uh, uh, an issue of Zorro, paganism, to remind the Jewish people that exile, destruction, and removal from the land comes from breaking cardinal rules and the three cardinal rules for which they were eventually which the Gemara says they were eventually removed from the land were were these three Avodah which was paganism which is doing something you're not supposed to do Shvichas Domin which is murder doing something you're not supposed to do and Gilui Arroyas and uh, committing sexual uh, acts that are in a, inappropriate which is something you're not you don't you, you, you're not supposed to do they're all negative commandments. Whereas we don't see, we don't see <clears throat> in the destruction of the first temple an idea that the temple was destroyed because of some positive commandment that they didn't do. However, when it comes to the destruction of the second temple, we find that the reason was what's the primary reason for this destruction second time around? Well. Because they didn't love each other. was the problem. There's a positive commandment that they didn't fulfill. So there's the various ways of looking at it. Let me just see if I can answer some questions here. Each one had six. Oh. Who's this? Harvey. Harvey, 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 Harvey. It's a long question. Harvey. Chabad translation of it's not, it's, not a, it's, not a, it's not a question, Harry. It's an, an oh. extract. All right. Okay. Let me continue. Okay. So that is that is the machlokus in this Gemara. Exactly what's going on here with the missing wings. So he, in any event, what we have here before we move on to verse seven, which we'll do now, um, is we have four chayos. Each one had four four sets of faces. Uh, 16 faces each. Each face had four wings, which meant they had 64 wings. Each chaya, each each of these angels had 64 wings. There were four chayas in total, of 64 faces and 256 wings. Notice anything unusual about these numbers? They're all factors of what number? What's the most important number here? What's the most important number? Number four. Oh. Yeah, the number four. four. So you, what you were going to see, what we're going to see throughout this chapter, and we'll deal with it when we get to verse 10, 
is the importance of the number four in this verse and in all ensuing verses. That uh, the number four plays a, a crucial role. And uh, as I mentioned, the very first year, the four directions are also going to make a play a very important part. And also the four worlds. There are four worlds which we haven't talked about yet, which we will talk about later on in a later year. There's the world of Atsilus, which is the world that God, the realm that God inhabits. There's the realm below it, which is the world of Bria, the world of creation. The world below it, which is the world of Yitzira, the, the world of formation, which is where most of the angels reside. And there's the world of Asiya, the world of, world, of, world of action, which is where we are. We are in the world of action, where all the action takes place, all the physical action takes place. Okay, so let's now move on to their legs. Okay, so verse 7, it says, V'raglehem regal yeshara. You should know that their legs were fused in a single rigid foot or leg or foot. And the soles of their feet were like either calves, which we just described, which is the opinion of this, the rabbis in this Gemara in Chagiga. Another translation is Egel doesn't mean like a calf. It means angul, round. So we'll deal with both those translations in a second. So again, start of the verse again, where I Yeshara, their legs were fused into a single rigid leg or foot, and the soles of their feet were like a round, shaped in a round way, not like ours, ours are flat, or like a calf's foot, which is the two ways of understanding that word, Egel. The notes of sin, Ka'ain, Nechoshes, Kolol. And they sparkled like the color of polished copper. Now, what on earth is going on here? So we'll be able to start this verse now and uh, we'll complete it next week. What's the four imalt, four dimensions after Einstein? Every, <laughs> the number four, yeah. Uh, I don't, okay. The four imalt. What about the, I don't know. Okay. We'll see. We'll see what the four, what, what the four represents. Many things. Okay. So let's just start with the Raglayim. The Raglayim Regal Yeshara. Now, you got, if, if you notice in the, uh, the language, the Hebrew language here, it's a strange combination of plural and singular. It says their legs or their feet were like a straight foot. Like the raglehem in the plural, regel yeshara, was is singular, so plural and singular together. Um, so the way to understand it, according to almost every single opinion, is that although it was clear to Yechezkel that these chayas had two legs, remember they got uh, sixteen faces, these uh, chayas, and they've only got two legs, so it's um, there must be strong legs. But these two legs or two feet. Um, um, they had two legs and two feet or two feet but the way they were standing to attention gave the appearance of just one foot in other words this is the way you read it they, they had two legs or two feet two legs and two feet but they were, they were standing so to speak to attention and as you looked at them they were, they were like together in, and the appearance was that there was just one foot. And uh, surprise, surprise, uh, we learn a halacha from this posuk, from the first part of this posuk, which is very unusual to learn a halacha from a, a, a piece of uh, Tanakh like this, which is really dealing with something that's going on in the upper realms. But nevertheless, <coughs> we learn a halacha here from these words regarding the way you're supposed to stand during the meter. So the... Uh, Kitzah Shulchan Aruch in, in Simon Yudches writes as follows, your feet should be placed next to it. This is how you're supposed to stand for the Shemona Esra. Your feet should be placed next to each other as if they were the only one to resemble the angels of whom it is said, and their feet were straight feet. In other words, they were like fused together as one foot, which means their legs and feet, appeared as one regel. So 
Um, so that that is how they looked. He could clearly see that they had two legs, two feet, but so from a side-on view, it would appear from the way that they were standing that it was only one foot. So it, it's a little bit strange. If the, if the angels always have the appearance of having only one foot, why do they need two? Why do they need two feet at all? After all, they don't need their feet for movement or walking like human beings. They travel by other means. <clears throat> and we're talking about the chayat here. We're not talking about the lower, the lower angels. Um, they, they obviously travel by other means. Remember, each chaya uh, has got 64 wings. Even with wings removed, he's got 64 wings. Furthermore, it seems that the anatomy of the legs indicate that uh, they're constantly standing anyway. Like if you look at the posuk, the posuk says raglei and regal yeshara, like the like it's fused to to stand straight. Um, as Rashi points out here, the word yeshara straight means they had no knee joints. They weren't like these. These legs weren't like humans at all. They had no knee joints with which to bend their legs. Because these angels, they don't sit down and they don't lie down. They've got no need at all to bend their legs. So they don't need any joints like those of the animals or the human beings that allow the upper and lower joints to bend its legs and sit or lie down. So again, the question is, what's the idea of the chayos standing to attention as Yechezkel observes them? Because again, as Rashi points out, all they do is constantly just stand around. Why, why, why do they need two legs? Why do they need to have two legs like human beings. So the answer is like this. It's uh, a little bit of a complicated answer. So this is what we'll finish with today. The answer is like this. Is God a physical being or a spiritual one? Anyone want to answer that question? I'll open to the floor. Is God a physical being or a spiritual one? Spiritual. Really? Well, he's neither. He's a spirit. He's, he's a, a being on his own. He's unique, you might say, to use a, a, um, a human phrase. I think you're absolutely right. I think God is neither spiritual nor physical. He's certainly not physical. Uh, he's certainly. Harry, is it a, um, an image in a prophecy, and, and so it's not a real being? No, of course not. God creates the image. It's an image that... Yeah, it's, an, it, it's an image to satisfy human beings' uh, imagination. That's all. It seems to me like the imagery that I'm getting is a Vodazara as at least one piece of this uh, being, and which is one of the reasons why we lost the temple. Uh, well, we, we, we were very early in the chapter yet to be making those conclusions, but... Uh, You've got to give it a got to give it a few shirim till we come on to uh, the deeper stuff. We're really at the um, superficial level just at the moment. Let's let's get it. Let's it. the straight the straight leg with no joint. It's it's like a it's like a, 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 a like a what I want to say a statue. You know? No 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 the, 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 no no no. You're on the wrong track. No okay. no. There's a reason for this. There's a reason. We'll deal with this. We'll deal with this. Um. So the the, the question is, is God a physical or a spiritual being? The answer, straightforward answer, God is neither. God's essence is completely unknown and unknowable. What we do know is that the physical realm and the spiritual realm are both created. They're both created realms. There's the, no, no question about that. Voracious Baralohim, Es HaShamayim, Es God created two things. He created the physical, the spiritual realm first, and then he created the um, physical realm. That verse... The first verse in the Torah attests to the creation of the physical and the spiritual. We exist in the physical. The angels exist in the spiritual. The differences are as follows. The four major differences. There are other ones, but these are the major differences. We eat and we have a digestive system. The angels do not eat and they have no digestive system. They, they have no reason to, they're not physical. They don't have any need to eat. We need to move and therefore require motor movement in our legs and our feet. The angels require no such movement with their legs or their feet. We procreate, angels do not. We require rest, angels do not. 
These are the four major issues that separate us from the angel, from the spiritual realm. Um, and are representative of the differences between the two realms. We inhabit the physical world, which I just told you is called the Olam Ha'asiya, the world of action, the world of movement, the world of the physical world where things happen in the, in the physical sense. The angels inhabit the upper worlds, the Olam Ha'yitzira, which is where most of the angels live, and the Olam Habriya, which is a higher level, which is the level directly below God's realm, the, the world of creation. Otherwise described as the Olamei Ha'omdim, the world of standing, the realm of standing. The angels in that Olam, in that world, which is uh, the Chayos here and the Seraphim to a certain extent, do not sit down and they do not work. The realm of spirituality is represented by Omdim, standing. There is no movement in the spiritual realm. What does that mean? There's no movement in the spiritual realm. What does it mean? Does it mean there's actually no, no movement, nothing moves? That's not what it means. So in Pirkei Ovis, in the fourth chapter of Pirkei Ovis, there are two uh, seemingly conflicting statements in the name of Rabbi Yaakov. He writes as follows. More precious is one moment of repentance and good deeds in this world than all the life in the world to come in the Olam HaEmes. One moment of repentance and good deeds in this world is greater than all the life of the world to come. And then he writes, and more precious is one moment of tranquility in the world to come than all the life in this world. Now, these two, these two statements are completely and utterly contradictory. How do you reconcile these two statements? The answer is this. If your basis for measurement is koras ruach, tranquility and satisfaction then the world to come is far superior because there is no comparison between the two realms between the physical and the spiritual realm in terms of contentment and happiness the world to come is in that respect koras ruach tranquility and satisfaction is the ultimate because it rewards its rewards far outweigh anything in this physical realm or this physical realm has to offer so if your basis around is, if your basis of calculation, which world is better, is based around tranquility and satisfaction, you can't compare the two worlds. The world to come is far superior. But if your basis for measurement is the ability to earn and to accumulate that tranquility, that satisfaction, and that reward, then the Olam Ha'asiya is the only game in town. The physical world is the only game in town because the acquisition of that reward that you get in the world to come only takes place here in the Olam Ha'asiyah, in the physical world. So that one moment of action here can result in unlimited reward and satisfaction in the world to come. But once you are in the world to come and have left the physical realm, the ability to acquire more Koras Ruach, more reward, more satisfaction, more tranquility has passed you by and you become stagnant. You're standing. The world to come is the Olam Ha'omdim. Doesn't mean literally where you're standing still. It means you're standing still in terms of what you can achieve. You can't achieve anything more. You're unable to act in a way that will increase your Koras Ruach. The acquisition of the Koras Ruach, the acquisition of tranquility, the acquisition of satisfaction, the acquisition of reward is gained in this world. You feel it in the next world, but, and there's no, there's no comparison. You can't feel that sense of reward that sense of satisfaction that sense of tranquility in this world you can only feel it in the world to come but the problem is in the world to come you can't add to it you've got you come to the olam ha'omdim you come to the world where you can't do anymore you can't do any more kind acts you can't do any more mitzvahs you can't put tefillin on anymore you can't go to the mikvah anymore you can't do any of those things so look now at the statement in pukiyavas more precious is one moment of repentance and good deeds in this world than all the life of the world to come. 
because if you're if you, if you're talking about the accumulation of the world to come, you can only do that in this world. That's statement number one. Statement number two is more precious is one moment of chorus ruach of tranquility and satisfaction in the world to come than all the life of this world because you can't feel that sense of satisfaction, that sense of tranquility, that sense of reward in this world. So th this world is the world of acquisition, where you do mitzvahs, it's the world of asiya, it's the world of action where you accumulate everything that you are going to enjoy in the next world. But that's all very well. But in the next world, you can't do any more asiya. It's not the world of asiya anymore. It's the world of omdim. It's the world of standing, the ability to acquire more koras ruach, more tranquility, more satisfaction, more reward has got has passed you by and you become stagnant. You become standing. You're unable to act in a way that will in increase your reward, your satisfaction anymore. In the world to come, you are what you have accumulated and no more. You are now standing still. And the only way for a person in the world to come to change his situation is for someone here in the Olam HaAsiyah to perform a mitzvah on his behalf or as a result of, of a person having set in motion a chain of events in his lifetime that results in generation after generation performing positive actions and mitzvahs that would not have been possible had that individual not initiated it originally. It's like an Amway's period income model. So here you understand why these, the angels are standing, standing to attention with straight legs. It's to demonstrate. It's a physical demonstration to Yechezkel that the world therein, you can't advance. You can't accumulate anything. We've just been talking about the reason for destruction, whether the reason for destruction was the lack of positive mitzvahs or the transgressions of negative mitzvahs. Now he's looking at the legs. The legs are standing. The legs standing is telling him the world we live in, that's it. When you get here, there's no more chance to do teshuva. There's no more chance to do any mitzvahs. There's no more chance to avoid any of errors. So while you've got the opportunity, while you've got the opportunity down, down there, You've got to do it. That's why the imagery of the angels is of one fuse standing foot. They're actually two feet. But one fuse standing foot, because an angel can't advance himself. He can't put him for a promotion. He can't say, you know, uh, I've, been, you know I've done my job very well for the last 3,000 years. I, I think I'm due. You know, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a one of the uh, seraphim. I think I'm due to join the Chayas now. And in this world, you can do that. You can go, you get some Icha, you can become a greater person, you can learn Torah, become more knowledgeable, increase your Olam Habor. In the next world, you can't do that. In, that. in the spiritual world, that's it. The game's finished. Unless you've got people here that are willing to do mitzvahs on your behalf, they make a Siyam of Mishnayis or Chumash or Rashi or, or Gomorrah, or, they, or you've set in motion you built a school or you built a yeshiva and you're, you're feeding off, you know, the pyramid model, the pyramid income model. But on your own, off your own bat, you're, sta you're stagnant. In the next world, you're stagnant. You can't add to it. That is the imagery that's going on here. So I know I've gone over time, but I just wanted to make this point. This is one of the, this is, this is part of the vision. This is part of the vision of Yechezkel that he understands, that he looks and he understands that, that desolation, exile and destruction are coming. And when exile, desolation, destruction is coming, it's, it's, it has to be repaired because when you get up here, it can't be repaired. This, this, this Olam Hayasiyah, this world of action is the only game in town if you want to make, make the best of yourself in the Olam Ha'omdim, in the world where everything's stagnant. Well, you can't move up a ladder by your own good deeds, where it's not possible to do that. Okay. I think that's enough for today. Um, here you Harry? Okay. Yeah. 
Has anybody got any questions? No? How can it possibly be that no one's got any questions? Everyone's just I, like completely and utterly, you no, know, no, I, everybody, everybody needs to go to sleep, have a sleep now. And, no, no, uh, I had a possible to reinforce your last comment, which was from the Hallelujah, Maitim Hallelujah. The local Yorade Duma. Yeah, you can't do anything about it. See, all them him. So that's the message of the that's the message of the angels. We're not finished with this point yet. Um, we're just starting. Hello. Yeah. Uh, they appeared to eat. They appeared to eat for Abraham. Yes, they appeared to eat for Abraham. They appeared to walk as well, um, but they weren't. They weren't chayas for a start. <clears throat> Orofanim, or Sarofim. Um, okay, so uh, if there's no other questions? No. No. Boruch, you got no questions. How can it be that Boruch's got no questions? <laughs> How can it be? Okay. Have a good we'll, week. We, we'll continue on our merry way um, next week. Um, and com uh, complete this pasuk, and um, we'll move on. We'll move on to uh, we're discussing the feet, and the next thing we're going to discuss is we're going to discuss the the hands, which Try is your centerpiece uh, next week. Call to everybody. Uh, Everyone uh, should have a great week. Uh, uh, Larry, is it the same time next week, four o'clock? Let's keep the same time right now, unless we see there's a problem. I'll talk to you about it during the week. Okay, call to everybody.